This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, time for our crack strategy panel. And top of mind, the war on Ukraine. Is Canada doing enough? Meanwhile, there are developments in the conservative leadership race. Former Mulroney cabinet minister and Quebec premier Jean Charest will be meeting with caucus in Ottawa to talk about a possible bid. Here in Ontario, most restrictions are lifted as of today. And as you heard in Bob's news, the province has just reduced some transit fares. It's also increased minimum wage for gig workers and increased workers' privacy protection. I can feel that election getting closer. What about you? The numbers to call... 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard. High Road and Charles Sousa, the former Minister of Finance for Ontario and MPP for Mississauga South. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. So uh, the government uh, reversed its earlier decision. It is sending lethal weapons to Ukraine. Uh, and apparently the Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Jolie, is there making sure that they get where they are supposed to go to, uh, which is, uh, it's quite the ask, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, the increased immigration targets. They've opened it up for 4,000 people, but presumably those are people who are already in the pipeline. Uh, Many of them will already be here. Uh, And talking about other measures like making it easier for people to stay. So my question is, I mean, there is almost universal uh, agreement for this and, and also support and people want more. So let's begin with Charles, is the government doing enough on this? Well, the fact that the government is showing um, universal, like it, the fact that everyone's supporting it, the fact that the West seems to be united in these endeavors speaks volumes for the efforts that are being made uh, by many of the countries, including Canada. And uh, even the opposition, I feel, recognize the importance of what's happening uh, to support the democracy. Real democracy, not what was happening in our, in our recent weeks in, in Ottawa. This really does uh, bring to light uh, the volatility, the uncertainty, and, and the risks for these countries not to be there to avoid uh, the, the, the threat of those that are being aggressors. And I think Canada's doing the right thing. Uh, John? You know, I, I, I'll give the Prime Minister credit when, when credit is due. And, and, and I think on this particular file, I think he's been doing a, a good job for him and his government. I think the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Melanie Jolie, has been tremendously um, uh, um, good with respect to how she's been handling it. So I would say that they're, they're making the right moves and, and they're, you know, in some cases they may be slow, but they're responding. And, and as you said earlier in your, in your, um, in your remarks, you know, they'd be the government sort of reversed their initial thought about not sending in setting in artillery and, and some of the more more threatening weapons, and now they are. So I, I do think they're being responsive. I do think that the the sanctions and and more importantly the words that are coming out of the out of the not only the prime minister but of the ministers in charge um, have been really effective. And 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 sort of there's no kind of middle ground or or you know you know blasé kind of remarks. These are they've been making some really strong stringent comments about what's been happening uh, out of Russia. And I think that's a positive sign, given the relationship uh, that Canada has with Ukraine and with Ukrainian people that are, are quite substantive uh, here in, in Canada. So all in all, I think it's, it's good. I see that, uh, you know, Candace Bergen, our inter- the interim conservative leader, has been also very positive and said that they support 
the Canadian government, which again, in times of crisis, is important to see, you know, all the political parties sort of rally together and, and not have division. So I think that's a positive step as well. Um, the sanctions are important. I don't know if they're going to have any effect, but uh, it's certainly, certainly, I think, uh, having an effect on how Russia is prepared to move forward on this, because I think even the Ukrainian resistance has surprised them. Uh, and, and now they're retreating and, and sort of rethinking how they're going to approach it again, which all is good signs. Karen, uh, is Canada doing enough? I mean, we have the biggest uh, Ukrainian diaspora. We saw the deputy prime minister, Christian Freeland, leading the demonstration, wearing, you know, traditional garb. Yeah, I think that um, it is a, a certainly a moment where Canada um, was faced with a choice of where we were going to stand, and we're sol- solidly behind our allies, which, um, you know, it sounds intuitive, but it hasn't been. And when we think about, you know, the last several years in our, our relationship with the U.S., our relationship with China, it was one of straddling and trying to get the best of both worlds. And in this case, you know, there was some resistance about not wanting to um, upset Russia by sending heavy armory equipment, but now all all of that rightly has been recognized by Canada. No, we need to take a side. It needs to be with our allies. It needs to be with the Ukraine. And um, and that we are doing something, again, germ- following suit of Germany and other countries that have typically been reluctant to get involved and send that heavy artillery, recognizing that we need to support Ukraine. We need to support Ukraine. Otherwise, it really does beg the question whether any of these international alliances have any meaning at all if we can't protect a democratic nation from being invaded like in this day and age it well, really they're not, they're not part of nato and uh no. you know in terms of sending that stuff and it's uh it's going uh, a day too late i mean yeah know. yeah it, but better late than never and uh you know i think the ukrainian president said you know i don't need a ride i need i need support and and he's getting the support that that he's requested and so again even though they're not part of nato it's still i, I I don't think the world can just sit back and watch this happen because then what does it mean for Taiwan? What does it mean for other other nations that are democratic nations that serve a strategic interest for a more powerful global entity? And so I, I think this is important in, in so many ways, and I'm glad to see that Canada has recognized that these take aside. Uh, Charles Sousa, I mean, should we be doing more? Um, what's going to make the real difference here, I think, are the Russian people themselves. I mean, Canada and the rest of the, the Western and the NATO countries are stepping up. I think Melanie Jolie and Nina Nan, Omar Al-Gabra, Christopher Freeland, they've also stepped up and provided great bench strength for the prime minister. And I think that's the way politics and government should work. Um, in terms of what can they do more, I listen to people like Bob Ray out of the UN and, and the stuff that he's saying in respect to what is Russian going to do? What are the Russian people going to do? And I think... Uh, Vladimir Putin has underestimated his propaganda. I mean, he's failing, and and I don't. What, what's more at risk is what he'll do next because uh, he's now being pushed down, and I think that response will be even more uh, more definitive in terms of what happens next, and well, the, uh, and that what worries me more. The 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 military take on it is. It's been tougher for the Russians than they anticipated, and the Ukrainians are really showing incredible fortitude and doing a little bit of pushback, but it's only a matter of time till they get their act together. They have a much stronger military with much more material and weapons, and uh, they're right now they're shelling Kharkiv, which is the second largest city. They're Lots and lots of civilian casualties. They've taken out a TV tower. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I think, uh, I, I think it would be wrong to be complacent about how poorly the advance is going for the Russians. Uh, Karen, what do you think? Yeah, I think that, um, if Russia decides they're going to invade, then it's going to, then they will put more, much more firepower, and they are a nuclear power. So they, they certainly do have the potential of being successful, but then they have to weigh at what cost. And I, I think that, they, that there are some strategic miscalculations that were made. Uh, one, I, I don't think that Putin thought the West would rally in the way that they have. Um, and I think he thought that he'd have more support from China than maybe he's getting. And so, and also internally, as I understand, there's some internal divisions with the Russian elite around how this is being managed because they're 
um, it, it, it's becoming increasingly unclear what victory looks like. And as more and more Russian casualties are felt, it will become the price to be paid. It becomes higher and higher. All this to be said is that once people get entrenched, and if, if he isn't entrenched, how do we, how do you how do both sides back off and declare some level of victory? Because we know in international relations, unless like Ukraine doesn't have the power to defeat Russia, they only can defend themselves. And so there won't be any victors out of this one. There has to be a way to manage through to some kind of peace settlement. And it's early days yet, but that but that's kind of the next piece of business is how, how do we get to that place and who leads that in this new global order? And that's very unclear. Oh, very, very unclear. Let's take a call from Jennifer in Toronto. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to mention two points. Uh, have been following, you know, the war in Ukraine quite closely. First of all, the 400-mile convoy of tanks. You know, um, it's like a pariah. You know, there's not been what I, I found anybody bring up mentioning uh, drones or air power. Now, if they can wipe out that convoy, you know, presumably, okay, Russia wants to encircle a Kiev, and uh, that's, you know, that's what they're intending to do. But it's sitting there. It's very slow. Um, can't they get drones, whether, you know, from um, America or um, say they are from uh, their, uh, Ukraine, uh, so America's not involved, but wipe out the convoy because, you know, there again, I mean, there's some uh, terrible weapons amongst it. That was the first thing. That Je- it, Jennifer, it, I'm sure that if, I mean, the, that convoy, they are sitting ducks, and I think some of them have been, some of those tanks have have taken fire, but I'm sure that if they could take more of them out, they would have. Really, you know, um, you don't think perhaps drones, the use of drones, I mean, you well, know. One way or another. Pardon? One way or another, I'm well, sure. Yes. If they could, they would. Jennifer, thanks for your call. Uh, yeah, there is that convoy. It's scary. They are sitting ducks. And again, uh, some of those tanks have been taken out, for lack of a better word. But, but uh, that huge convoy remains, and it's a big threat. Let's move along to things that are a little more local, shall we say, and national. John Capobianco, uh, how do you read Jean Charest's, what is it, his his little foray into Ottawa, his uh, feeling out of the caucus? How do you read it? Well, I think it's yet another um, example, or quite frankly, proof that that Jean Charest is is literally going to be into the race. Uh, I certainly have seen and have talked to a number of people around John uh, who are confirming that he is in. He's got a team built um, and and working, quite frankly, uh, you know, now as, they, as we speak. I think all that they're waiting for are the rules to come down from the organizing committee of the party. But, but John is going to come in the race. I think it's going to add a really good um, context to the party, obviously, with the Pierre Paul Vav already in who represents a certain segment of, of the party, and, and Jean, who will represent another. I think um, it'll be an interesting race. I think Patrick Brown is another one who's very much considering the, the race. So it's, it's going to look interesting as, as, uh, as this evolves. Charles Souza, is this uh, kind of cementing the split between the right wing and the moderate wing of the party? And if Patrick Brown jumps in, as he told us, he is considering uh, way back a few weeks ago, last time we chatted, uh, does that kind of split the red Tory moderate centrist part of the party? Well, it'll certainly it'll be a healthy thing for the party to go through. I mean, these debates will sort themselves out and they'll, they'll illustrate the left and the right and the middle and they'll have those conservative values, uh, that'll be on display. Um, but I think ultimately what the party's going to look at is who's going to be able to unite Canada. Out of all this is done and someone steps up and runs for being, runs to be prime minister. You know, I, I mean, both these individuals are fierce debaters, being, and they're fluent in both languages. They'll be great candidates. Question is, what are the conservative values that are going to stem from it? Are they going to be hard, or are they going to be a little bit more moderate in order to win the rest of Canada? And that'll be, I mean, Peter McKay was seen as eccentric, and he got shut out. Um, 
Uh, Pierre waited too long last time he ran. This time he came out very clearly up right at the start to impose himself. Jean Charest, if he waits too much longer, will be out too. So uh, I think I'm with John on this. They're, they're going to, he's going to be declaring. I'm not sure about Patrick Brown. He said he will. Um, but uh, then you'll have a three-way, and I'm not sure to what extent uh, one of them can come up the middle. I think it'll be... But again, to your point, Joshua Ray is seen as the left of the party, so we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. And it was interesting, you know, Karen, Pierre Polyever came out with an energy statement yesterday, and he's saying, you know, we should get rid of... Uh, we should replace Russian energy imports, Canada. That means oil sands. Uh, wh- what do you think of that, getting in the debate in that way? Yeah, I mean, I guess he's just he's trying to fight for airtime when the focus is somewhere else. And so, you know, I think he's just trying to stay relevant. And, um, you know, in, 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 in a debate that really doesn't involve him, uh, which is fine because he's good at that. Um, you know, back to, I don't, I don't actually think Jean Charest is going to run because I think he's just, you know, every politician that's spent time, you know, in Quebec federally, he's, you know, he's done a lot of amazing things. He's also been controversial. And so there's, there's so much material there that I, I think that he just l- would look at it and where he is in his life and think, do I need this? And, um, I think, I think he's going to come down to the answer being no, um, I think Patrick Brown is interesting because in spite of all the time he spent in politics, he's really quite undefined. And I think his time being mayor of Brampton has been, has shown him to be a leader. Um, but, you know, I think the, 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 the character of Pierre is already kind of being developed and that he's, you know, intelligent, but divisive. Um, I think Patrick Brown is, is actually very, very interesting in terms of where he sits and where his potential might be. Hmm. It's interesting that you seem convinced that Jean Charest won't run. He, of course, w- when he was premier of Quebec, he was a liberal. And everybody said, yeah, but he was a Quebec liberal. But uh, still, uh, that might rankle with some people. Also, uh, people inside Quebec say he has uh, somewhat more of a mixed reputation there than we are aware of here in Ontario. Charles? <laughs> or... Yeah, there's a bit of baggage with, with Jean Charest, certainly, and there's been a sordid past. Um, but um, question then, still, regardless of Quebec, what is the West going to say? And and what's Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, how are they going to view a Jean Charest in the mix? And, uh, you know, there's speculation that uh, Stephen Harper is not a fan. I'm not, we, we don't know. I don't know for sure. I mean, John certainly probably does, but... Um, I, I, I would like to see more candidates in the race. I would. I would like to see more opportunity for the party to show some strength in their ability to lead the country. Ultimately, there is going to be a change. And if that's going to be the case, well, we want some good people out to help. Uh, John, Charles just brought up Stephen Harper. So how much of a force is Stephen Harper still in the party? I think Stephen Harper is, is always going to be a force in the party. I, you know, I, I ran under his leadership, so I, I've got a, a, I'm fairly, you know, uh, loyal to, to Stephen Harper, and, and um, he's somebody who I think will always have that kind of power and that sort of understanding of what's going on. I think that as elections happen, it becomes less and less. Um, uh, he becomes less and less, you know, uh, um, potent in some respects. But you know, of course, he was the founder of our of our new party and, and the prime minister for such a long time. So a lot of folks will will absolutely listen to what he says. I think the the rumors about him not wanting Sheree, as we heard from the first time, and then this time around, I think are probably more exaggerated. Um, I don't know if he would if he would actually you know physically try to stop or or try to stop politically John Sheree from running. I think John Sheree is going to run. And I think you know just in talking to people that are are actually working for him now, I think he's he's in and going to Ottawa. As you mentioned, I think is, is proof positive that he's going to run. I, I think you and Karen should get a uh, pot going, a bet going, <laughs> and see who turns out to be right. But it's uh, it's interesting speculation on all sides. Uh, turning now to Ontario, you know, we we keep seeing in little dribs and drabs, uh, I would say, smaller announcements every day, uh, which just says to me, there's an election coming. So my question is, are these small things going to add up to a big victory, another majority victory for the PCs, or even a not-so-majority victory, Karen? Well, 
Well, you know, again, it's curious to me. And I don't know. I don't. John. John knows more than I do on this one because I don't see any pools. I. I just have what I. I. It, you know, I. Re, I replace the water cooler with the dog park discussion. You know, things that are percolating in the dog park tend to be what are on people's minds because we can't go to the water cooler anymore. And uh, but by you know, the way, I, not to interrupt, but for many people, including us here, this is uh, first day back at the office day. We, of course, in the news team, have been here throughout. But I mean, for everybody else uh, in the company, this is back to work day. Oh, so you'll find out what's going on at the water cooler. <laughs> but uh, you know, I would have think I. I still think that the Conservatives are going to win the election. I. I don't think the Liberals um, just they haven't had enough time to rebuild. And, and I don't think the NDP is actually in a position to defeat the Conservatives. So I, I just I think it's curious because all of these little jobs and jobs are coming out, and, and I don't see how they actually um, are will help because the party doesn't need them. And in some cases, I don't think what they're announcing makes any sense. So it's just it's it's a little bit strange how it's all unfolding to be to be candid. But again, John would know more than I because I don't I don't see the poll. Right. But so what what do you see that doesn't make sense? Well, you know, we talked about the parking last, like renewing the parking and the license plate. And now, you know, with the the go transit pass and the free transit and like just all of these little these little things, you know, again, alongside big things that are still really questionable whether or not they're going to happen, like the highway and, um, you know, the billion dollar uh, Ontario line. And, you know, not to mention that there's still a lot of recovery that needs to happen after COVID. And there's still a sense like what, you know, we know that there's no capacity has been lifted. The vaccine mandate seems to have run its course. But again, there's the whole, you know, how, how do we move from where we are now to, to, to no masks? And there's a, a question there of how that unfolds. And so there's, there's still things that have to be done to manage where we're at right now. And um, what they're announcing is just, it's not even big enough to be a distraction. and It's not material enough to be a motivator. So it's kind of strange. Well, yeah, I, I see in dribs and drabs, uh, it's things for people in the suburbs, basically, which is they need those votes, as does anyone else who wants to win. They are uh, talking about development and home buying and driving. And that's kind of where I see like middle class things. Uh, am I missing anything, John? No, in fact, you know, I was just going to say that, Libby. It's the middle class, which is a, a, a significant voting block uh, in any party, you know, be it federally or, or provincially, uh, in any party of any political stripes, would love to be able to have, you know, the middle class sort of, you know, viewing them as the party that, that supports them or that, that favors them. And I think, these, as you say, these dribs and drabs of announcements, I think, you know, in, in, in and of themselves might not be effective, but if it's part of a larger narrative, which I know it will be, with respect to affordability, um, then it becomes a message, right? So, you know, the, the license stickers for, for one, and then, you know, other, other things with respect to things that they have control in that they can lower prices on or give some relief to, to, to uh, taxpayers. If that's part of an affordability message to say the feds, you know, are causing so many things to go up in prices, but what we can control here in the province, we're going to control to sort of relieve some of that tension for you. That's a powerful message. And if that's the message that that gets out there, they, they'll do very well. Charles, uh, I'm I'm looking for a kind of uh, almost objective assessment and uh, f- about how your cabinet, your former cabinet colleague Stephen Del Duca, is doing. I mean, we've seen a lot more of him lately. Uh, Karen kind of dismissed his ability uh, to <laughs> to certainly to win this time. So. What's your assessment as much as you can tell us what you really think? <laughs> as objectively as I can, uh, Stephen Del Duke is very articulate and certainly uh, pragmatic. He's actually much more right uh, than he is left. He's much more economic in his scope. He's very much a middle-class proponent in, the, in our cabinet. He always fought for those that were of middle class who were always feeling squeezed. So, he would probably side with some of these initiatives that Ford is doing, recognizing that that, too, is a base that he wants to attract. Um, but he's still not as well-known, and there are still some hurdles to overcome. And, of course, the, the premier, Ford, has the upper hand here in the recognition. But 
there's things that he's going to do, that Ford's going to do, that's going to cost us a lot of money. There's probably still some tax cuts coming around for gas and electricity to make life more affordable for everybody, but there's no real plan necessarily for the economic recovery plan or what are we going to do to be resilient in terms of housing and health care and what are, there, what are some of the innovations that we're going to make to be more competitive. More importantly, and this is what Stephen's going to talk about, is building confidence, predictability, and being concise and clear as to where we're going. And that's something that Doug Ford has failed to do. He's floundered. He's gone back and forth a number of initiatives, and he'll press them on being decisive because he hasn't been. That's going to be the challenge, and a tough one, too, because, uh, you know, the premier has that folksy way, a way to attract, and, and people seem to like him because he comes across as a regular guy. Right. There's there's that. Stephen Del Duca Devin, de- definitely doesn't have that. Do you think there's any chance that he could even become the official opposition? People also seem to be uh, writing off Andrea Horvath in terms of gaining uh, strength from where she is now. Yeah, the real problem that we had in our last election when uh, the Liberals lost, to the extent we it happened, was because there was a surge in the NDP, a big surge. And that really uh, cut back and, and split those votes. So I, 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 I believe a success for uh, the opposition is to hold the Conservatives to a minority government. That would be seen as a success. And, yeah, I believe Stephen uh, Del Duca will form uh, much greater strength and many more uh, uh, positions and MPPs. Uh, it's great to see uh, Jeff Lehman from Barrie. Uh, come forward because he's someone of some consequence. And these kind of heavy hitters will make it happen. Uh, final question to you, Charles. Uh, the, the There was a huge amount of um, anger against your former government, lots of baggage. Is are, are, Do you think you're done with that in terms of the electorate? Uh, well, Premier Ford certainly is not done with reminding people <laughs> of that and using it certainly as a ploy by which to suggest Life is not affordable because of things that have happened long before. But yet, and I'm hoping Stephen will reaffirm this, the initiatives that have been put in place, the things that the government has done over the past four years has cost us a lot of money. Money in terms of revenue that has been lost and positions where we were taking things off the tax base, like electricity, for example, they are now going to impose most of those savings on everyday taxpayers. It's going to create huge deficits, structural deficits, uncertainty and, and continuing unpredictability. And that, that may not matter to people who are voting because they just want to know what it means for my, my pocketbook. But in the end, what's going to cost us a lot more is the short-term decisions that have long-term effects. Karen, I heard you chortling, so I'm going to give you the last 20 seconds. <laughs> oh, about, um, well, I mean, I, you know, Ford has, he's, had, he's got a record now. Right. So he can try to pretend that this is all um, Kathleen Wynne's fault and Stephen Del Duca's fault. But I, I'm not really sure that's a winning strategy. I think, you know, if John's um, assessment is true and he's run, weaving a narrative of affordability, then then that's probably a better message for him. But, you know, as I say, I, I don't I, I think he's going to have a majority. It might be slightly reduced. Um, but, you know, I think as well, I hope that he goes into the, his next term with a bit more um, a strategic direction than maybe the last term had benefited from. Okay. On that note, we wrap things up for this week. Thanks so much, John Capobianco, Charles Souza, and Karen Stintz. Thanks, Libby. Good afternoon. Bye. Thanks, everybody. We are taking a break, and when we come back, excuse me, we will talk about the prices at the pumps and the impact of those sanctions against Russia when you fill up your tank. When we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Excuse me. The word is that Western sanctions against Russia are working and the Putin regime, as well as the rest of the country, are feeling the pain. And we've been warned. 
we will also experience the pinch here. Gas prices are already through the roof. Uh, I'd like to hear from you. What have you found filling up your car? And what do you think of these prices? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now with a look at what to expect, we go to Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. Hi, Dan. How are you? Good afternoon, Lynn. Well, I, I'm one way, but uh, their listeners may not be after they finish uh, hearing what I have to tell them. Okay, go ahead. Days. Maybe we've got a two-cent increase tomorrow. So if you're in the GTA, anywhere GTHA, uh, you're 158.9 at the top end. That'll go to 150, we'll say 160.9. So just a fraction under $1.61 a litre. And if that weren't enough, uh, unless something dramatic should change now, uh, we're looking at a 6 increase to a dollar 66.9 cents a liter come Thursday might drop a penny between now and the afternoon but so far the market is indicating uh, some uh, steep increases of course if any of your listeners are using diesel it's up five cents tomorrow and uh, up another seven cents at least on uh, uh, on Thursday so between both of those uh, gasoline you might say hey no big deal I don't drive a car but uh, you got to keep an eye on diesel because that's the one that uh, drives your infrastructure. Uh, that's the uh, stuff that trucks use to transport your food. So if you're concerned about grocery prices, you know, fasten your seatbelts. It's about to get a whole lot worse. How is that related to sanctions and the situation in uh, Ukraine? Well, Canada's uh, talk of sanctions came really uh, as a result of Europe imposing sanctions, which was far more effective given that they're the ones using uh, the majority of Russian oil and uh, in particular Russian gas, uh, natural gas. Um, so uh, the increase here has everything to do with the fact that uh, with sanctioned oil and gas by the biggest importers uh, in Europe, uh, it's likely that uh, there's going to be even further increase in the price of oil. It's gone up, by the way, uh, since this morning, at, what, seven bucks a barrel already. So I wouldn't uh, discount between now and, say, this time next week, oil moving to $120 a barrel, which in turn would uh, lead to another 10, perhaps even a 15 cent a litre increase. And I don't think these things, Libby, are short term. So, yes, the sanctions are the one reason. But uh, before all this began last week with the madman Putin doing what he's doing, uh, we, um, we already had a big problem in Canada and globally. And everyone wanted to look the other way. I refused to allow that to happen. We had a supply crunch, and that's because we're saying, oh, we, we, we can buy electric vehicles, or we can get solar panels, or we can get windmills. That's all nice, but uh, the world needs more oil, not less, and Canada is no longer in a position where it can supply what the world needs. We've blocked uh, pipelines in this country, and that's a problem. I, I, that was my next question. I mean, shouldn't the other side of this be good for our economy, good for our oil producers? Yeah, except we can't take advantage of it. Uh, to some extent, we've been able to increase a bit of pipeline capacity on one line that I can think of. Uh, it's called uh, Line 3, and it just finished a couple of months ago. But beyond that, you know, we've been in Ottawa. And by the way, Libby, I'm not being partisan here. You know, I was a Liberal MP, Liberal MP for 18 years, 39 years in the trenches of that party, going back to, you know, the early days. Of I remember. Just pure L.A. Trudeau. I got to tell you that uh, when you have a party that says it kills the East, uh, the Energy East Pipeline, the Northern Gate, the Gateway Pipeline, creates all sorts of regulatory uncertainty to pipeline makers who are willing to use public in their own financial private money to build pipelines and then decide to leave as they did with Trans Mountain. Little wonder Canada doesn't have the ability to get pipelines uh, to market, not just for oil. But think of what happened last week. While we were all focused on the truckers' convoy and the Emergencies Act, uh, the Trudeau government did very little to respond to the act of violence and terrorism that we saw on one of our main natural gas pipelines that uh, the world desperately needs, uh, not only clean, but obviously approved by every level of government. So we have a problem, Canada, and uh, we've got to start to wake up. We have a solution, but we've got ourselves so heavily wound up in this idea that climate is everything and uh, nothing else matters. I think now the priorities of Canadians has changed and have changed. And uh, woe to the political party of any stripe that says no to building an east-west pipeline in this country, because it is just Canada that needs it. It's the rest of the world. And uh, don't take my word for it. You have a weak Canadian dollar. Anybody who has looked at the American dollar and says, boy, last time we saw $100 oil, the Canadian dollar was on par with the U.S. greenback. 
We price everything, Libby, in this country based on the U.S. dollar. So a weak Canadian dollar, because we're not selling enough oil and gas, means that you and I are paying an extra, for instance, 15 cents a litre. Uh, let me give the numbers out again. I would like to hear from our audience. What are you encountering at the pumps? And what do you think about what we are hearing here? Dan is expecting another two cents hike in the price of gas tomorrow, six cents on Thursday, and talking about widespread increases through the supply chain as the price of diesel goes up. Um, and again, you know, we should be benefiting from this, but we are not. The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And uh, th- this isn't really a concrete question, but do you think the sanctions against Russian crude oil, do you think that will make anything change, start things up here? Um, well, I think it's sort of window dressing. Uh, it's, if I had to say, is it a good or a bad thing? It's obviously a good thing. But I think we're missing the forest for the trees. Um, we should be saying no to any foreign oil, uh, with the exception perhaps of the United States, which in which we import 70% of, the, uh, you know, of that uh, if we take uh, we take it that there's 600,000 barrels a day, we we uh, we export uh, about four million. We import 600,000. We shouldn't even be doing that. But given the majority of that is the United States, I guess we that we can give that a pass. It's what we have done, uh, Libby, with the other 350,000 barrels, which comes in from you know a, a variety of other countries. A nation that has the amount of energy we have here and already has the well, has the pipeline infrastructure in place called the main line. It's already there uh, all the way to Ontario. It's it's any wonder why we would accept the idea that uh, a handful of uh, folks can go around and jump on tables and scare everybody and say, if we don't get our way, uh, then we're going to start blowing things up. And that's what happened. That scared the government and motivated the government into believing that, uh, you know, certain regions of the country do, do not want Canadian oil. Nothing could be further from the truth. And, uh, I think Canadians are now starting to see it in, in a very different light. And uh, in, in one way, what's happened out of Eastern Europe may be a wake-up call for Canadians to finally you know, put some emphasis on the fact that we are blessed with an abundance of uh, energy sources, and we do so responsibly. We've dropped a of methane that we're uh, emitting when we, we produce oil, and of course, we do so ethically. We don't, you know, we don't use slave labor. We don't have a dictatorial system of government in this country. We have a democracy. Venezuela can't say that. Saudi Arabia can't say that. Those are the only two other countries that have a greater oil and gas reserves than Canada does. Let's take a call from David in Toronto. Hi, David. Hi, how are you today? Fine, how are you? Good, thanks. Go I ahead. I just, just wanted to say that poor Canadian energy policy causes very high prices in our economy, not just for fuel, all energy and food. And it's a shame that we have such poor policy and it's dividing the country and it's a sad situation. Thank you. Okay, uh, that's clear enough. Uh, go ahead, Dan. You want He's to spot on. I mean, it, it, it is true. We don't have much in the way of policy. It's all based on one thing: green, uh, you know, green climate. It's uh, that's important, but it's not the it's not the litmus test. And we are dividing the country. We're bankrupting the country, and we're also creating a situation where people are, can afford less and less. Not just for transportation fuels, but we're a cold country. Libby, look how cold it's been for the past January and February. We all know that. Climate's back, and I think we all have to recognize that uh, we need to balance that, and we're not doing a very good job at it. Well, just this week, there was a UN report actually saying that the uh, climate change is even worse than we thought. Look, uh, uh, 10,000 years ago, there was two two, two miles of ice above us. We are going through a warming period. Uh, actually, we're probably arguments uh, past year and a half. We're going through a cooling period. Whatever the case should be, uh, you know, every couple of years when there's a, you know, a, a need to look at these things, you can always be sure that they're going to come up with yet another alarmist kind of variation. Libby, you and I have seen these things going back to the 1970s, uh, and I'm, I'm frankly tired of it. And I think most Canadians are getting a little annoyed because there's not a thing we're doing in this country that's causing it. More importantly. If we are causing it, then uh, can someone put a lid on some of the volcanoes out there, perhaps the actions of the sun? Because a lot of what we're seeing here in terms of variations in climate, which isn't over uh, you know, a year or so, but it, can, it has to be measured in 30 and 50 and 100-year cycles, maybe we should start looking at the, the bigger picture. There's only so much that man-made uh, emissions are creating here. So I think some of these folks who've made a living off doing these things need to get a bit of a grip. 
the reality is that we're not going to have much of a of a society left if we allow madmen like uh, uh, like uh, the Russian dictator Vladimir Putin to hold Europe over the barrel. Think of what Europe's done here. They shut down all of their coal plants, all of their oil. They won't frack any natural gas or even shutting down nuclear. And now they find themselves at, you know, really on bended knee needing the, you know, the supplies from, from Russia. They've emboldened Russia to do what they're doing in Ukraine. And so I'm taking off my energy hat, putting it on my old foreign affairs hat. Yes, I did work there. Yes, I did serve my country uh, in that department. And I became a privy counselor for it. But at the end of all this, I think we, we really need to make sure we understand the fragility of our nation, that we are both uh, in a very vulnerable position, uh, but we also are a major solution to uh, the world's needs at this time. Okay, let's let's get back to the price of fuel. Barry in Orangeville. Hi, how are you? Fine, go ahead, you're on the air. Yeah, I'd just like to say that part of the price increases in our energy costs is the carbon tax, which is unfairly put on Canadian consumers and Canadian businesses. And a common sense would be put the carbon tax on all imports from countries with dirty economies. Our economy is not that dirty, and we produce less than 1.3% of the world's carbon. Okay, That's Barry. That's all I have to say. Thanks for that. Okay, I'm looking at the clock. We are out of time on this segment. Dan McTague, anything you want to leave us with on the price of gas in 20 seconds? <laughs> Please, please, please fill up tonight uh, uh, for all for what it's worth and uh, at least uh, get a bit of a hedge on what could be several weeks of very high prices. Hang in there and uh, batten down your hatches. Okay, Dan McTague, thank you so much Thanks for that. For Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the latest scam. And do let us know if uh, you have... Uh, almost been a victim of this. Uh, and it has to do with those license sticker refunds. There are phishing scams asking you to click for a refund and really uh, you're refunding them. We'll have that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Just last week, the province announced that it will be refunding what we paid for our license stickers for the last two years. While the scammers were not far behind, Peel Regional Police is warning the public about a sticker refund scam that's circulating in the form of a text purporting to be from Service Ontario. And it reads... As you know, we have removed license plate stickers on all vehicles, so we are giving you back $120 Canadian. And it then provides a link to retrieve the supposed money. Do not click that link. Uh, I'd like to give the numbers. Have any of you received this message? Have any of you clicked on it? 416-360-0740, toll-free one 866 740-4740. And now let's go to Constable Heather Cannon of Peel Regional Police. Hi, Constable. Hi, Libby. Thanks for having me today. Okay. Well, when did this scam first crop up? Well, I know that when um, me personally, I run uh, part of the media office, and uh, someone from the public had actually um, included us in a post that they had posted regarding a text that they had received. And um, I had worked in our crime prevention services for about five years. And knowing these types of scams, this one I hadn't seen. So um, in that sense, it was really important for us to put that message out to the public because when these types of scams, whether you get them in an email or whether you get them on a text, they pivot so quickly. So we thought, you know, let's get this message out there really quickly. And it turns out that people literally were getting that particular text that night. Um, I personally didn't receive it. So tell me, did it look really authentic? I think, I think, yeah, it, it's just a text. But I think the other thing is, it, is it's plausible. And I think for people that receive it, and this is the one thing that these scammers are banking on is it is it really seems plausible especially like now that we're in tax time i'm sure we will start seeing um kind of a re-upping of the scam for cra refunds um and and something like that so it's very 
timely, but it's also something that seems plausible. Uh, right. And uh, what happens if you click that link? Well, it, a few things could potentially happen. And I think when you're clicking the link, there could be a few things that happen. One thing is, you know, there could be potential malware that can be downloaded onto your computer. And people have to remember that their phones are small computers. So technically, malware can be uh, downloaded onto your phone. The other thing that can happen is it will start to kind of send you through a weave of questions. And a lot of the time, some of these red flags are that they're wanting your personal information. So in this case, it might be that they're wanting to refund you money. So they're going to need your bank account number. And oh, lo and behold, they're probably going to ask you for a password for that and for you to get that. So Again, you're, you're potentially giving them personal information that, and financial information that is going to allow them to withdraw money from your account. Uh, I think uh, uh, most people are aware, like, you never give a password to anything. Oh, right. But, I mean, this is the thing. And I think this part of this scam, which I know is speaking with members of the public, is it seems so plausible. So when people actually believe this is real, they actually feel really dumb. And I know a lot of the public is like, oh, I would never fall for that. But you know what? These scammers are are quite smart. And as you've seen, this pivoted really quickly on the, the, the province's announcement. So it seemed pretty plausible. And I have to say that during COVID, I think a lot of us pivoted more to doing stuff online. So again, it's it's convenient, and the whole idea of being able to get a refund is you know pretty exciting. There might be people out there that are financially strapped, and to get you know 120 bucks just seems like oh you know that might be something that helps them pay for rent or pay for a car payment. So again, I think the one thing that we talk about whenever we kind of try and push out this type of messaging is always be mindful. Always question any text that you get that you did not solicit. So all of a sudden you get a text, I don't know, from your bank. You get a text from somebody that's wanting to give you money. Anytime you get any type of text, it doesn't matter. Right now we could be talking about CRA. We could be talking about license plate sticker refunds. It will be something else that someone is trying to give you a refund on. Always stop. Don't click on it. If it says it's from a particular bank, maybe you bank with them. For this case, it's Service Ontario. Do not click on anything. They may give you a number to call. They may give you an easy email or website to go to to make it really easy for you to get this fake refund. And what we're asking the public to do is just stop, wait, don't click on anything, And go outside of that text or that email and research, find the customer service number for that particular bank, um, whether it's a streaming company, whether it's going to service Ontario yourself. Don't click on any emails they give you to give you information. Go outside of that and find out and research on your own. Because if you do that, what you will find is, especially for the validation stickers, is that you know, they will say, look, all to get a refund, we just have to make sure that, you know, your address just, is updated by the 7th of March. And, and uh, how will people, in what form will people be getting their refunds? So it, it appears that they'll be mailing that. So that's that's what they'll be doing. They, they basically said they will be mailing that checkout. Right. Um, which uh, also... Uh, that sounds a little old fashioned, but I guess is safer and Service Ontario would never contact you directly about something like that, correct? Right. But again, scammers are banking on the fact that people don't know that. And that's why for anything like this, just go outside of it, always question it and uh, look it up on your own independently from this text or email. Uh, do you have any inkling of how many people have received this or where it comes from? Does it even come from inside Ontario? Uh, and that's a great question. And I think, I don't know how many people have received it. From some of the comments I've seen uh, recently, several people have received this. 
And I think the timeliness of being able to push out this kind of kind of crime prevention measures, which I will say came from a member of the public. So um, this is something that was pretty important to us is the fact that, you know, someone had let us know and then we pushed that messaging out. So technically it was a member of the public that let us know that helped us to push this messaging out. So where these scammers are coming from, it could be potentially outside the country, but unless it's something that, you know, when uh, these types of um, situations are investigated, uh, it's it's too soon to tell. So again, people, the word is that we will be getting our refunds from Service Ontario, but they are going to be coming by check, I think, in April. Is that right, Constable? Um, I'd have to check. I mean, sometimes I saw that there was some things that had to happen in March. But I think, again, the best way for anybody to find that out is to visit serviceontario.ca and all of their legitimate information will be on their website. Mm-hmm. And you're expecting more similar scams. Uh, it's tax time, uh, which means the old CRA scam might rear its ugly head. We've heard about that for years now. Right. And it's still, it's still ongoing. These, these types of phishing scams, scams happen daily. So the fact that this one is the new flavor and that they're pivoting to this is very opportunistic. Mm-hmm. So again, it's, it's how people, how they're going to catch people off guard. It seems pretty plausible. But um, the one thing that I, I did want to add here is I know, you know, people are questioning it. We've had a lot of people say to us, look, you know what? I got it, but I didn't click on it. Um, that's fine. That's great. And I want people to share that with their friends and family. The one thing is if you haven't incurred a loss, this is something that you wouldn't notify the police on because technically there hasn't been anything that, um, you know, you haven't incurred a loss. So therefore we wouldn't investigate that. However, with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center, they take any kind of new statistics, anybody that's receiving these uh, phone numbers that they're coming from. A lot of the time, the phone numbers people are getting them from are totally not legitimate. They're they're just these throwaway numbers that you know it's good for the sorry good for the uh, center to know about because they can gather those informations, and if they get enough complaints on a specific phone number, they can shut that down. And uh, but if there is something where someone says, you know what, I clicked on it, and someone actually took some money out of my account. That is when you would contact your local police department and make a report. Oh, but tell the Anti-Fraud Centre. And you can let the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre know as well because they gather the statistics. And on their website, it's completely Canadian-based. So anybody that goes on there and reports the types of scams or things that they're getting through email, that helps them to gather information to inform the public. Okay, Constable Heather Cannon, thank you so much for being with us. Great information. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.